Thank you, Kathy, so much. Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Rob, and it's uh, great to be with you in this way today. The Lord is worthy of our time and our attention and our devotion. And so the discipline that we execute in order to meet and maybe overcome some barriers around technology is worth it. And we pray that the Lord would meet you here today. I just want to give you a couple of, or just a quick update. You know, um, now that we are in level three officially as a province, um, that all of our ministries have moved online with the exception of a few specific things. And, uh, but the office is still open and we are still here working. And so if you need anything, if there's anything we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Let me start by asking you a question today. Have you ever fallen out of love with something? Have you ever fallen out of love with something? Maybe you got something for Christmas that you truly, truly wanted the idea of it. You loved it. You were in love with it before you even got it. And then you got it and it was great. But now that you think about it, you know, it's been two weeks and you've hardly touched the thing. I had a friend of mine once who really, really wanted a certain car and was in love with the idea of it. He got it and was so excited until he realized this car was really, really expensive to maintain. Um, And he quickly fell out of love with it. So this happens sometimes with cars, sometimes with things, sometimes with gifts, and sadly, sometimes also with people. But what about God? Have you... Have you ever, or do you know someone who maybe has fallen out of love with the Lord? And maybe think, oh, I don't even know if I can admit that right now, uh, because, you know, he maybe doesn't know, which I think maybe he does. Maybe you've fallen out of love with his church. And you might say, oh, okay, that's a little bit easier to relate to. And I don't mean kind of the institutional church I mean a specific group of people that you worshipped with and served with, and over a period of time, some things happened and, or maybe didn't happen, and there was a sense in your heart that you've kind of fallen out of love with them. Well, today we're continuing our series on the book of Ephesians, written by the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians in the ancient city of Ephesus. And the word Ephesus literally means desirable, and it was a desirable world-class city, probably the fourth largest city in the world at the time that Paul wrote this letter. And if you strolled through the streets of Ephesus, you'd see three things right away. First is a large temple to the goddess Diana or Artemis, uh, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Um, If you can picture uh, marble pillars, 127 of them 60 feet high, kind of marking this temple area. Also, there was a large outdoor amphitheater. It was, again, constructed out of marble. It could seat 24,000 people. And if any of you have visited Turkey, maybe you visited this site. And then the next was kind of this, the market. Uh, two football fields, imagine, side by side, that kind of hosted the typical kind of karma, uh, commerce you would imagine in a multi-ethnic community where people sold their wares and traded. It was also the place where the government meant to discuss plans. It was a place of life. Now, also in Ephesus, there was a church. And this church uh, was unique in the sense that it ended up being kind of the location for the who's who of, of kind of significant Christian leaders at the time who spent time there. First, there was Apollos. Apollos was kind of known as one of the absolute best preachers in his day. Uh, he was a Jew who converted to Christianity and had this incredible power of persuasion and had convinced many people to put Jesus as the center of their life. 
Next was the Apostle Paul, who wrote a good chunk of the New Testament, church planted throughout the ancient world. He came and visited Ephesus. He came back and spent a few years there teaching and preaching. And then about 10 years later, after he'd left, he writes them the letter that we're studying right now. Then there's Timothy. If you look ahead in your Bibles, you're going to see two different letters to Timothy from Paul. He was the pastor in Ephesus at the time that Paul wrote to him. And then many believe in there's a tradition that the apostle John lived out the last years of his life in Ephesus as well, known as the, Jesus called him one of the sons of thunder, that he pastored in Ephesus and was later buried nearby. And this church just didn't have kind of a who's who list of prominent pastors It was known in the area for working together to bring this multi-ethnic community of people under Jesus Christ as their Lord and bringing them along in faith. They were known as a church that worked really, really hard to care for its community and were known also for its perseverance. In fact, they had such a witness in the community, you you can go back and read about this in Acts chapter 19, um, that so many people were converting to Christianity and away from their pagan religions that the local idol makers union got upset because sales were plummeting of idols. And so they raised kind of this ruckus and came upon Paul and the leaders in the community in Ephesus trying to run them out of town because they were bad for business. And so as you read the book of Ephesians, And we'll notice even in the verses today, you see how Paul loved these people, how well they had started, how great things were going, the way the gospel had taken root in this multi-ethnic community, and they were really and truly being a light to their city. But only a bit later, the church in Ephesus started to lose its way. There were struggles around unity and theology and leadership. In fact, the Apostle John would later write to them in the book of Revelation and kind of give us an insight into some of the trouble. Let me read you some of those verses here from Revelation chapter 2. John wrote to the the Christians there, You have patiently suffered for me without quitting, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look at how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, then I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. He said, you're not going to make it if you don't change your ways. And it happened. The church did not change their ways. And most historians believe by the second or early third century, the church in emphasis, was gone. That it had completely disappeared. This community of believers who had first experienced the grace of God and the Spirit of God living and working in their lives in such a powerful way, who had endured persecution and showed the city that under the Lord's leadership in our lives, we can come together no matter where we're from, no matter our backgrounds, and that we can be a light to the city. But they lost their first love. And in time, They disappeared. So why do I share this to you? Because if it could happen to them, it can happen to us. If it can happen to them, it can happen to me. It can happen to you. Where we get to this place where slowly our love for the Lord, it leaks, it wanes, it fades, and our love for our sisters and brothers in Christ also lose it. We lose it. And over time, the church without love at the center is no longer 
the church. But the passage I want to look at today, the second half of chapter 1, Paul, I think, gives to us the keys of maintaining that first love. Turn with me today in your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to start reading at verse 15, um, and I'm just going to read the first uh, 15 to 17 here for us. For this reason, Paul writes, ever since I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Even as I read just these few verses, you can hear Paul's love for this church as he prays. And when, you read these, when I read these verses, I circled three words, heard, thank, and pray. Heard, thank, and pray. As Paul hears about the good news and of the good things that are going on in Ephesus, he thanks God, he thanks them for their faithfulness, and then he prays for them. He hears it, he thanks God, he thanks them, and then he prays for them. And I want to suggest to us today that this could really be a formula for us as a congregation in the times that we're in right now of how to pray for each other, how to maintain our love and strengthen our love both for God and also for each other as a church. That when we hear about the good work that God is doing in someone's life, taking steps in their faith, um, moving in the right direction, being more patient, being more kind, serving, loving, we thank them. We thank them for their discipline. We thank them for their attentiveness to the work of God in our lives. And then we pray for them and we continue to pray for them. When you see a volunteer who is faithfully serving, I think about our tech team here at the back today, I think of boards and board members and committees that are continually wrestling and making decisions. We heard of two great examples in both Dave and Mickey. When we hear about these things that we would stop and we would thank God for what he's doing in these people's lives and through them, that we would take the opportunity to thank them ourselves. And then we would continue to pray for them, write their name down somewhere, stick it on a piece of paper next to our Bible, and that we would pray. Now, does a church, how does a church keep from losing its love for God and each other? It prays prayers like this. So let me give you some homework. Put on your listening ears. And as you hear about people who are being the church, living out their faith, caring for others, thank God for them. Thank God for his ongoing work in the lives of others and then thank them and pray for them that they would not grow weary, that they would not lose heart, that they would have everything that they need and that these people who are serving and living out their faith, that God would open their eyes to see how he's using them, that it would be an encouragement to them. Next verses, Paul prays for people for the lights to come on. Paul can see things about the Christian life that he knows if these people can see them, it's going to help them maintain their love for God and love for others. It's going to change their lives. Let me read for you verses 18 to 23. Paul writes, I pray that the heart, eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that the lights would come on, in order that you may know the hope to which he called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. 
gospel. How great is this power? That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, seating him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head or the source over all everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul wants, as he prays for these church, these people in Ephesus, to see, be able to see with great clarity three things, hope, value, and power. And I want to suggest to you that holding on to these things ourselves as Christians today, hope, value, and power will help us keep from losing our first love. Let me just go through them quickly. A church that maintains its, love, its first love holds on to its hope. If you were not here last week or did not listen to last week's message, let me give you a quick review. Uh, because Paul had this astounding list of reasons for you and I to have hope today. Here's what he said as he was describing you and I as the church. He said, together we are saints, we're holy, we're blameless in his sight. That in, in an act of divine love, we together are chosen, that we have grace, that we have peace. We're included in Christ. We're blessed in the heavenly realms. We're seated with Jesus. We've been elected and chosen and called by God. We've been adopted into his family, his daughters and sons. We have redemption through Jesus, forgiveness of sins, and we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit who keeps us until Jesus returns. And as I speak so quickly, I apologize to Nick, our translator, who's trying to keep up. When God wrote every word of our Wikipedia page, this is what he put down as our identity, what describes us. And when these truths move from being words on a page to being our core identity, we discover that we have this anchor, this hope that holds fast no matter what life brings our way. Now, 2020, 2021, the anchor was the most popular Christian tattoo uh, as rated by hipster pastors. Uh, based on this verse from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9, 19, it says this, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Now, on a day like today, it's hard to imagine boating on the St. John River. Uh, but if you're out on the St. John River in your boat and there's a current and you want to stay fixed where you are, maybe you're swimming or having a picnic, then you drop an anchor which roots itself into the floor of the river so that you do not move. And, and, and seasoned boaters know that if you simply just kind of let your boat flow and go wherever the current is going to take you, you're going to end up being in trouble, like reversing falls trouble. And boaters know that it does not take long when you're not paying attention to slowly float away and suddenly realize we have drifted a great distance. John writes to the church in Ephesus, how far you have fallen. I bet it was shocking to them when John told them, you have drifted, you have strayed so far from your first love. And if you've been a Christian for more than like 10 minutes, you know the temptation is there to place your hope in things other than Christ. And that when we do, it begins a slow and subtle spiritual drift in our lives. 
And Paul writing to these Christians says, I want you to be able to see that you have to hold on to your hope. Second thing he says, a, a church that maintains its first love values its church family. Paul uses some great language here. He prays that these disciples would see the riches of his glorious inheritance. I want you to imagine for, with me for a second that you have a wealthy aunt. Uh, she never married. She does not have a lot of family. And she had done really well financially throughout her life. She's got a couple of nieces and nephews. She passed away. And now her family is gathered for a meeting of the reading of the will. And it's expected that everybody's going to get some good stuff. And the lawyer kind of let it slip to you that you're getting the most valuable thing that she had. So the lawyer is going through the will and she's telling everybody what the aunt has left them. And some nieces are getting money and some nephews are getting property and everybody's kind of getting significant gifts. And finally, it comes to you. Your name is called and the lawyer, she reads, being of sound mind and good judgment, I have left you the most valuable and precious possession in my care, my church family. Cue the confetti cannons, right? Paul writes this, I pray that, out of, that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so you can see the riches of his glorious inheritance, and then comes those three words, in the saints. That the riches and that the glory come in the form of the inheritance, which is the gift of each other, or the church in Ephesus. That's what Paul says is the glorious inheritance. It's you to each other. It's each other to you. Now, initially, that idea of your sisters and brothers in Christ as being a glorious inheritance may take some, idea to warm, make some time to warm up to. But not for Paul. Not for Paul. In this year, there's going to be some great tech company. And they're going to develop this app that's going to just change the world. It's going to get out on the stock market. It's going to start out at $0.08 cents a share. And by the end of the year, it's going to be $1,000 a share. And the person that created the company is going to become a billionaire, and they're going to build a rocket and shoot themselves into space. You are more valuable than that share. You are more valuable because you were created in the image of God. You've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. You've got the Holy Spirit living in you. And you and I get to be the light and the good news of the kingdom of God to the people around us. To Paul, it was not a stretch to think of his sisters and brothers in Christ as a glorious inheritance. As he thought time and time again of how often the church had come to his rescue and walked with them and served with them and supported him each and every step of the way, he could picture this was true. And you and I, when God looks at us, he sees that we have incredible value, that we are worthy of his love. And he wants us to get to the point that when we see each other, that we are in the same place, that we see the value in each other and we dedicate and we have a sense of great love for each other. But here's our challenge, especially given the day that we live in right now. We live in a culture that has made a sport of devaluing each other. We live in such an opinionated, judgmental time where people tear apart, tear down, and make fun of anybody that has an opinion different than theirs, whether it's politics, pandemic, religious things. And every time we look down on someone, insult them, blast them, laugh about them behind their back, we are devaluing them. 
And the threat to the church is that we will not love people that we do not value. Paul reminds us again of the value of loving one another. And a church that does not have at its center a growing love for people, broken people, just like ourselves, will lose touch with grace. And when we move away from grace, we will lose our first love. The only way we can learn to love people with this kind of love is by returning to the cross where we see that we are loved with the same kind of love of Christ. And if we want to maintain our first love for each other as the church, we need to see everyone as Christ sees them. Hope, value, and the third is power. A church that maintains its first love remembers the source of its power. In the summer of 2003, the Nyland family set out on one of its epic family trips to Saskatchewan by car. The drive to Saskatchewan is always very exciting. Every city is new again. The highway is great. We have great anticipation of seeing family that we have not seen in a long time. And the trip goes by pretty quickly. The drive home is a different story. The drive home is way less exciting. We've seen all these towns. We've eaten at all these restaurants. And every stretch of highway looks the same. The trip home turns into a grueling just survival marathon uh, where everybody in the vehicle is getting more and more grouchy and the, and the parents have kind of lost any desire to be good parents. We just want to survive. Well, the second last day of our trip home was August 14th, 2003. It was a hot day. We were in Ontario and we just wanted to get to the hotel, have a decent meal, get in the pool and swim and sleep in our lovely air-conditioned space. Now, August 14th was also the same day as a major power outage that took place across eastern Canada and into the eastern U.S., leaving 50 million people without power. We were some of those people. We discovered this when we rolled into North Bay to get some gas, realizing uh, the pumps weren't working because the power was out. We went to a restaurant to get something to eat, but the stoves weren't working because the power was out. We went to our hotel room, which was sweltering hot because the power was out. We could not swim because the room was dark because the power was out. And we lived in great fear that night because while we were laying in bed in our hotel room, we remembered that the hotel staff had given everybody in the hotel a candle to light, to, to light their room with. And we laid in bed thinking, there's hundreds of lit candles in this place. Are we going to burn down tonight as we sleep? All of this because the power was out. There's two ways to try to live our Christian life. One of them is in our own strength and in our own power. Or there's, uh, the other option is to live by the power that comes from the Holy Spirit living in us. Like us trying to make a decent vacation day in a city with no power, it was frustrating and grueling and completely unsatisfying. So is trying to live out our faith and to be the church in our own strength. It will wear you down. It will tire you out. Trying to live out your faith on your own strength. Nothing will make faith and worship and serving and community more wearying than trying to do it in our own strength. And I wonder about these Ephesians. If they went too long trying to be the church, all the while ignoring the power source available to them through the Holy Spirit. 
because God has given us his Holy Spirit living within us as the source of power for you and I to live out this faith. Power for patience, for discipline, for increased grace, for wisdom, for humility, for love, to forgive people, and to open up our hearts to him. All of this is available because of the Holy Spirit living in us. And it's not just any power. Did you catch what Paul said here? It's the same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave is available to us. Meaning, if today you're feeling like your love for God has waned and is near dead, God has power to resurrect your faith. If your love for your brothers and sisters is just hanging on by a thread, Jesus has the power to resurrect that love by opening our hearts and giving us new eyes to see that if you're in a battle, that if you're in a struggle, if you're absolutely exhausted, Jesus has power for you and I today. No one sets out to lose their faith or to lose their first love or to lose their love for their church community. But it can happen. I think of the words of that old hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And so today is an opportunity where the Lord invites you and I to renew our commitment to him, to open up our hearts and to discover, be reminded of the hope that is ours in Christ, to have eyes to see the value in each other and the eyes to see the opportunity that we have to be valued to each other. And the opportunity to say, Lord, today I'm not going to try to do this in my own strength. I will not try to live this faith In my own power, Lord, I open myself to your power today. Let me pray for us. Lord, we just pause this morning. There's a lot going on. And we open our heart to you and ask your Holy Spirit to renew our love for you. For us to be reminded again of the great gift of your son, Jesus, on our behalf for the forgiveness of sins so that we could have a brand new start. And with the hope of the Holy Spirit living in in us, knowing that you are beginning that work of transforming and renewing and redeeming. Lord, today, turn on the lights. Help us to see the hope that we have in Christ. Turn on the lights. Help us to see the gift of our church family is to us and the gift that we could be to others. Lord, forgive us for trying to live our faith in our own strength and open our eyes so we can see your spirit living within us, the source of the power that we need. Amen.